If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Movie Bump Specialist Phil and John are back, counting down our 100 favorite movies of all time. And today we are moving on to number 68, where we are going to be doing a horror special here. Uh, We're talking about Jaws and we're talking about Hereditary. Um, Jaws, obviously iconic. Some people would call it horror. Some people would just call it a movie at this point. But Hereditary, I think, no doubt, a horror movie. Uh, this should be a little more interesting because we kind of get to look at the two different approaches, uh, what people could work with, what they couldn't, uh, a floating Tony Collette cutting her throat open and a mechanical shark that refused to work. So we can look at kind of, uh, the memes in the seventies compared to 2018, what works, what doesn't, and what holds up against the test of time. Uh, John, uh, welcome back. And, and you're not going to have computer issues. You told me. Well, that's what I'm hoping so far. Uh, things have been good today, so I hope it holds up. And uh, I'm just excited. It might be September still, but uh, we got to start spooky season a little early. I know. I know. It's actually crazy that we are only two weeks away from uh, from October. I'm I'm pretty shocked. And and that'll be good. Uh, we, we are starting off spooky season very early because next week we go into The Exorcist. So things just continue on for us here. Um, and maybe in October. I don't know if we have any duplicates in October. That's actually something we should take a look at. But if we have any uh, duplicates, maybe we switch out what we we're going to watch for horror movies if it's possible to end up throwing that in. Um, but we kind of just do horror movies anyway. John did it on purpose. Yeah, so we, I mean, I just kind of have a bunch of horror movies then anyway, so we're fine. I mean, yeah, so we do The Exorcist next week, which let's say that's the 22nd, which it probably won't be because of the premiere of Survivor. The 29th, we have Edward Scissorhands, which, hey, he's weird looking. And then in October, John goes 10 Cloverfield Lane, Scream, and The Birds. So there you go. We have a, we have we have a good – this happened to just line up perfectly for us, so uh, we're just going to roll with it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, anyway – we're starting off with Hereditary because, yes, Jaws is still more popular, John. Uh, Ari Oster, though, uh, weird guy, very weird guy. I don't think there's any denying that. He also did Midsummer, which I did not like. And I feel like uh, Ari Aster is a very, very polarizing director at this point. We either love his – you either love one of his movies or you love the other. Like, pe- like people can't even agree that like both his movies are good because they're very different. So people either like one or they like the other, and some people just don't like him at all, while other people absolutely love him. Uh, John, you have Hereditary on here. Let's hear why. I spent a little time uh, the last decade or so kind of veering away from horror based on just like circumstances I was living in. A lot of it came to living in the middle of the woods where, you know, it takes 45 minutes for an ambulance to get to you. So, you know. Scaring uh, your pants mm-hmm. off is not the best way to to live your life up there. Mm-hmm. But in that last decade, we kind of saw this change in the way horror movies were approached. We we had kind of this birth of like this cerebral horror movie. We had finally 
gotten rid of the found footage horror movies at this point after they long stayed their welcome. Mm-hmm. We got into this point where starting with movies like It Follows and The Babadook, where we kind of were using horror movies once again to be more representative of different aspects of the human psyche, looking at different things like grief and uh, trauma and everything in that category, everything you can think of when it comes to mental illness. And Hereditary, to me, kind of marks the pinnacle of that so far. Uh, with the exception of one that I have way further up my list that's a little less horror-y, but doesn't really kind of hit on the same tone that Hereditary does. And, and what movie what, are you talking about with that? The Witch? The Witch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, but what Hereditary did, you, even the people who love Hereditary will tell you, I don't want to watch this movie again. And I think that's such an accomplishment for such a movie that is polarizing because there are people who hate it. There are people mm-hmm. who love it. Jordan, Jordan Alford's Alford in here right here. With a passion, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> it's so well done. And even the people who really appreciate the cinematography and all the work that went into making this film, it's unsettling. Mm-hmm. It keeps you off kilter. And that's what I want in a horror movie. Yeah, and and so I've I've always said throughout this entire series, and now people are probably going to get tired of me hear, of hearing it from me. But thirty three episodes in, I've always said if a movie makes me feel, that's what I consider a great movie. I don't care if it makes me feel sad. I don't care if it makes me feel happy. I don't care if it makes me feel nostalgic. I don't care if it makes me feel unsettled. Whatever one of those feelings I feel, if I feel it strongly enough, that's what makes a great movie. That's why I have the hunt. That's also why I have the world's end. Those two movies could not be any further from each other, but they make me feel. Uh, when Midsummer came out, it didn't make me feel anything when I was watching it. When the guy jumps off the cliff, sure, I was disgusted by that. But everything else, I didn't feel anything. I just, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, when are we going to get to it? Let's get to something here. Where's the spice? Like, there's nothing. And I have friends who totally disagree with me. I have friends yep. who, if they, like, when they make their top 100 list, they throw that in there. But they hate Hereditary. And the thing with Hereditary is, I understand, this is a despicable movie. I mean, it is mm-hmm. disgusting. The the look, the psychological look that this takes at a family torn apart and with the mental illness and, 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 you know, losing a child, losing a loved one, losing a parent, all of those aspects, it's brutal to watch. But at the same time, you feel that the entire way through this movie. There's never a point in this movie where you say to yourself, okay, good, I can take a deep breath. They literally don't ever let you. And so that's why for me, this is a great horror movie because at the end of the day, a horror movie should make you feel something. And, and that's why I've got like Rosemary's baby, the shining, the exorcist. Mm -hmm. None of those are easy movies to watch. Psycho. Those are all incredibly difficult movies to watch, but you feel something. And that's what the most important thing is. Aster is trying to shock you in so many ways, but he's still doing it in such an incredibly artistic manner that it's hard to ignore it. While even in Midsummer, I felt nothing for most of that movie. You watch the way he's crafting that movie, and it's hard not to respect at least what he's doing, no matter which one of these you're watching. Unless you're Jordan. He can't stand it. Yeah. And, and, and that is the thing. is like Because I remember I came back from Bella Coola back into the branches of civilization again. 
And it was right as Midsummer had just been released. So a lot of people had been talking about Midsummer at that point, And like, I hadn't gotten around to it yet. And I did watch Midsummer before I watched Hereditary. And it's a different type of horror movie because it's unsettling because it's all day based. It's like, it's like the wicker man again, where yeah. everything happens in the day. And that's a scary thing. What hereditary does differently. Ari Aster plays so much with lighting in this film. And it's, because we have these day scenes, which are supposed to be these comforting scenes, which as you get further along in the film, they get more and more unsettling. Mm -hmm. But you also have these night scenes where the really terrifying things happen. And you have these hidden figures standing in the background all the time oh, and yeah. things like that. It's his use of lighting in this film just helps keep you on edge the entire time. And, and so it's funny you're talking about Bella Coola. So so when you were talking about that before, this movie, I saw this at like the perfect time for me to see this movie. So I had driven, I just left Warner Brothers. And my friend and I, we decided we were going to do a cross-country road trip. So we drove all the way up the West Coast and then drove all the way across. And by the time we hit uh, Wyoming, we were on day 11 of this road trip. And we were going to be out for three weeks or something like that. And I said to him, I can't do this anymore. I need civilization. I can't just be driving around in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm from New Jersey. I've lived in Miami. I've lived in LA. The one thing you see all the time is people when you live in those places. And yeah. so for me, we did those drives, all that happens. And when I was, when I had, this is, so this all makes sense. But when I had Lyme's disease, when I was in college and they didn't diagnose me, I had allergic reactions to penicillin. And the doctor told me that, like, I'm lucky I didn't go into anaphylactic shock. So anaphylaxis is something that really terrifies me, even though I've never, you know, I'm not, I've never had it or anything like that. But that's something that terrifies me. So that scene with the girl. So I literally watched this movie after driving across the country, couldn't stand being in the middle of nowhere, anything like that. I get home. My parents or my dad, at least, and my sister are huge horror, horror people, and we kind of make my mom watch it. The first Friday night I'm home, we this movie comes out, and we go and see it. It was the most brutal timing for me because I was so on edge. My blood pressure had not come down yet. I'd come from a stressful job, this cross-country trip that wasn't as relaxing as I thought okay. it was going to be, a lot of middle of the nowhere, just wanting to get home. And now I sit down and I watch this movie. And it hit me on so many levels, whether it was the the scene of them driving back where she loses her head, which is so unbelievably disturbing, whether it's it's uh, just the Anne Dowd scene where the, the thing is moving around. Mm -hmm. But the scene that got me and pretty much ruined my life for like two straight weeks is when he's laying in bed and she's hanging up in the corner yeah, and not moving because to me, there's nothing more terrifying jump scares don't do anything to me yeah i'll jump but that's the reaction you're supposed to have that doesn't mean mm -hmm. i'm scared it just means i'm gonna jump because a loud noise is gonna make you jump that's how it works but when that scene happened and he's laying there and you start thinking about like hmm, when i'm laying in bed what if there's just something like you don't know because you don't have eyes on the back of that yeah. wrecked me for like two weeks and that's why this movie resonates so strongly with me and and for me like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. Other people think it's hokey and doesn't work, but hey, that's horror. That's just how horror works. It's kind of like comedy. Nobody's going to laugh at the same stuff. Nobody's going to be scared of the yeah. same stuff, and that's just how it goes. Yeah, and and that scene is brilliant because Ari Aster, the patience Ari Aster mm -hmm. has in this film is incredible mm -hmm. because 
that that scene, you sit there as an audience member who's probably consumed a bit of horror before seeing this movie. You see something like that, you're like, okay, she's gonna jump down and like mm-hmm. attack him in the bed. But it never comes. And it's just that anticipation of it coming. And then she just scuttles away. It, it's so terrifying. And then you get into the living room right afterwards, mm-hmm. where again she's in the corner and you're like, okay, it's happening now. Yep. And she comes from right beside him instead. It's Ari Aster plays so much with your expectations in this film and takes what you assume to happen. He's incredibly patient with it. Mm -hmm. And then he still does something completely different that you're not expecting. Well, and, and I think that's why he's polarizing. And I think, I think obviously you have the people like Jordan who just don't enjoy watching it because it's so disturbing and all that. But you also have the impatient people who, when they hear mm-hmm. a horror movie, they're thinking of these horrible, horrible movies that came out in the mid-2000s, early 2000s yeah. that are, up. Oh, they're looking in the mirror and then they're going to close the medicine cabinet and, up. Oh, we're all going to jump. Um it's it's like when you don't when that doesn't happen that's what a lot of the audience is expecting and maybe they're not cinephile type audiences so they sit there and say oh my god this is boring but Mm -hmm. i totally totally disagree and i think that it is it's patience the first hour of this movie really nothing scary happens unless you feel unsettled the anaphylaxic scene that is something you have to be unsettled by that you have to know the stakes of that you have to been able to put yourself in that position before in order to really feel devastated by that moment but really this is a family drama for an hour where the mom is a little crazy because she just lost her mom and her daughter gabriel Byrne doesn't know what to do and the son feels like he's being abused because he is and so You have that happening for an hour of this movie before it actually starts to get into horror. I respect that because if you think about the movies I listed earlier, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, Psycho, The Shining, they all take that exact same approach. And unfortunately, it's kind of a style that has died out over the years as audiences have become less and less patient and need the jump scares in order to want to go and see a horror movie. Yeah, and the other thing that really helps with that is – once again, we have an unreliable narrator. And Aster sets mm. that up really well with telling us that Annie has had problems sleepwalking in the past and then has this scene, this incredible scene, where mm. she's talking about, like, I didn't want to be your mother. Yeah. And you're like, oh, she's woken up from the sleepwalking, but she's still dreaming. It's and one of the most point, disturbing scenes ever. So disturbing. And <clears throat> at that point, you're just wondering... Is any of this really happening? Or is yeah, this all in our head? Exactly. And 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 so for me, like that scene also kills me when they're screaming at each other and then all of a sudden she's soaking wet standing there and then he's soaking. It's, like I get chills thinking about it because it's just, mm-hmm. again, it's all unsettling. Like I don't actually find this movie to be scary. I just find it to be so disturbing. But it makes you so uncomfortable that you can't stop thinking about it. And for some people, that's going to be a bad thing. You want to stop thinking about this movie as soon as it's over because it's 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 ruining everything. Like it's it's not a fun thing to think about. But it's hard to get it out of your head. It really is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, there's that idea, like, oh, is it happening in her head or whatever is going on? But I think by the end of it, it's pretty clear that it's not happening in her head. That this is something Ooh. that is, you know, that is definitely happening. But it puts you in that world of. 
what's she dreaming about? What is she putting this kid through? Did he kill her? And, and then, and then it starts to unravel. And you know, what it does really well is it makes you think that Charlie is going to be the main character early on. And then when Charlie dies, now you think Tony Collette's going to be the main character. And it's really not, it's really, that's when Peter starts to take over a little bit. And, um, the one thing I'll say is like, even if you hate this movie, like despise this movie, Tony Collette's performance, Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf are great. There's no denying it, but Tony Collette's performance in this movie is ridiculous. She Mm -hmm. is so good in this movie, such a strong performance because the one thing you can get behind is the grieving mother who just lost her own mother and then lost her daughter immediately after and has these mental issues in her family. Such an incredible performance. The dinner scene when she starts saying, you just sit there and glare at me. What the, it, it's, it's brilliant. Like I, I love her in this movie. I think she's so good. And uh, Gabrielle Byrne is just a perfect trying to keep it together kind of guy. Uh, love him and everything he's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Tony, I don't know if this movie could happen if it wasn't for Tony Collette's performance. I think if anyone else was in that role, it, it's just not the same movie. And Tony Collette, is a phenomenal actor and has been not really recognized for it a lot. No, unfortunately, but this is really kind of like open people's eyes up to how strong of a performance she can give. And she is absolutely what anchors this movie. Every moment she is on your screen, you're feeling exactly what Annie's feeling in that scene. There, there's no way around it. You, you, feel everything that Tony Collette is putting into this performance and it just makes it that much better. Yeah. It's crazy. She's only been nominated for one Oscar and it was all the way back in 2000 for the sixth sense. I mean, that was the only <laughs> one. And really that movie came out in 99. So she never got recognized for any of her wor- work after that. And we talked about the hours earlier on she's in, um, she plays, she's phenomenal in little miss sunshine. Uh, she's, you know, she's in the way, way back. I mean, she's, She's got some great performances throughout her entire career, but I think this is probably the best one. But being in a horror movie, you almost get zero credit all the time. You never get you never get the credit when you're in a horror movie. Uh, now nowadays, I mean, back in the back in the day, you might get a little bit more credit. But even even back with The Exorcist, I mean, and I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Linda Blair lost to Tatum O'Neill because people just didn't like the character of Reagan because it's disturbing. It's it's not fun to watch. Yeah, and, and this was this is kind of the time where we've now gone to a point where people are kind of starting to appreciate horror movies more now, and it's because of these films by people like Ari Aster, yeah, and uh, and like the Jordan Peele movies and uh, Robert Eggers movies. These are the ones that are really starting to make people realize that horror as a genre does lend itself to phenomenal performances as well. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, as you know, I, I, I really respect what we're doing and there you go. Ask SC Davis and the Babadook about horror movie bias. Like you're not yeah. kidding. I think like this, this, this trend we've seen because of people like Ari Aster, Ty West, um, um, Oh God, what, what is his name? I can't even think of his name, but, but, as you start to see this going on with with it follows, I can't think of his mm-hmm. name who directed that. You had uh here what is it? Here comes the night or or Jordan help me. It's the guy who directed uh, Waves. I can't think of his name, but I know you love him. So throw him, throw his name in here. But 
uh, you have these these people who are starting to take their time a little bit more. The guy who directed The Witch, who Robert, what's his last name? Robert Eggers, yeah. Robert Eggers, Eggers. yeah. You have these people who are willing to make the slow burn horror and know that they're not going to make. So, see, this is where it's funny with Hollywood. Hollywood is tricking audiences into going to see those movies because they know that cinephiles are going to love them. And they mm-hmm. know that the reviews are going to be great. And then you trick in people who have no interest in that type of movie who just want to go watch the 2006 remake of The Omen and they, or whatever. And they want to watch that kind of movie because, you know, that's mm-hmm. the better version, obviously. And so they want to watch that kind of movie. But it, they're being tricked into seeing it. So they're still getting the box office while keeping the cinephiles who love this kind of slow burn horror happy. Because it's a genre that kind of fell out. But... But like some of my favorite horror movies of all time, I would argue that I don't really have a single uh, uh, new school horror movie at all in my in my, you know, favorite horror mm-hmm. movies. If I were to rank like the top 20, almost every single one of them is coming from that genre of horror. The Duke, It Follows. It's Tyler Edward Schultz who directed uh, who directed. Is it Into the Night? Here Comes the Night? Something like that. I it like comes that one. It comes at night. Thank you. Thank you. I'm mixing it up with the uh, with the Ben Affleck disaster. Trey Edward Schultz. Thank you. Um, but that movie you have, um, uh, you know, The Descent is a movie where it's a slow burn horror. That genre has really made a rebirth and and one that if you're if you're into movies, I highly doubt you've seen it. Um, but if you haven't seen The House of the Devil, but you're into slow burn horror. Ty West made that as if it was an 80s horror movie. It's got Greta Garwig and and uh, the guy who plays every role in Anomalisa. It's that guy. And it's got all them, and it's such a slow burn. But by the last 10 minutes, it's the most disturbing 10 minutes I've ever seen in a horror movie. But it's it, – like I'll watch that every single year. I have a friend who went to the location where it was filmed to do a tour of the house and – he doesn't live in the same state as where the house was, but like, that's how like that movie can impact you. And so I think it's really interesting how these movies build up their cult following. And ultimately they're probably the ones we'll still be talking about in 20 years because they, they build up that conversation just like the movies in the seventies and eighties that were doing this weird shit, like the omen and the exorcist and, and you know, down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that is kind of the wonders of the horror genre and why I personally prefer it so much is because it does have... They're different. People experiment more with horror because of, like, they're cheaper to make. And, Mm -hmm. like, there's less expectation for them to perform well at the box office. So people are more willing to experiment with them. And as we go down my list, we're going to see examples of that in, like, the experimentation. Things like the Blair Witch Project, which, you know created a genre of film mm-hmm. that we saw for like 10 years after that. And when we like bringing things back to hereditary, Ari Aster's ad campaign also led into this thing that you were saying earlier about the fact that you're kind of tricked into thinking Charlie's the main character of this horror movie. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think it's like an omen esque situation and that's <clears> going to happen in this movie. And it's that subversion of expectation there that mm-hmm. really helps set this apart and especially when you realize every single thing that happens in this movie is orchestrated by this cult yeah yeah and, and yeah and and it's i mean 
we, you know, we see that from the early time when they're all looking at Charlie and you're like, oh, this is weird. But again, because Charlie has to take over the male body because it payment wants it to be a male person. So it's, it's how that works. And it's, it's very interesting. And um, I'm looking at this now as I'm, as I'm going down uh, the like IMDb and I see it from, you know, because we're talking about it. I see Jordan here. I literally only go see a horror movie if it gets good reviews. I can't trust modern audiences. And that really is especially true with horror because I'm mm-hmm. looking at IMDb. Something like It Follows has a 6.8. The Duke a 6.8. The Witch is 6.9. Hereditary is 7.3. Sinister is 6.8. Us a 6.8. The Descent a 7.2. All of these women, like literally, you can throw everything on IMDb into a dumpster fire, and and it won't even hurt the imp- it won't even impact the air quality because it's so useless. But I'm just saying that it it just shows like when you're taking these aggregates, and obviously that's the point we've gotten to now. It doesn't matter. Like I'll laugh when somebody says, "Oh, it has a 95 percent Rotten Tomatoes." I'm like, that could be 95 garbage men who have never seen The Godfather, but you're mm-hmm. going to sit there and you're going to trust those people just because they put their review on Rotten Tomatoes. But what I'm saying with this is it's totally showing how polarizing this type of movie is. But the audience it's going for absolutely loves it. Like the audience that this is going for absolutely loves it. And while there's always going to be a couple here and there where you're just going to be like, that's pretentious garbage or whatever. And that's what I thought about Midsummer. I thought it was just super pretentious and nonsensical. And I didn't care at all what happened to Florence Pugh. Um, You always – then you get – you know, it's just kind of your preference. And which way would you rather go with it? Which way would you rather go with it? And for me, like, this is, this is just a great genre that, you know, I'm happy to see we're still getting these kinds of movies made um, as we get into 2021 and stuff like that. And I'm one of those people I'll sit down, I'll watch saw. Like I love saw like, you know, the torture porn type movie that that is Um, hostile. The first hostile, like that's a fun movie audition Japanese movie. If you haven't seen it totally messed up. One of the messed up, most messed up movies you'll ever see in your entire life. Um, But yeah, that's, that's, you know, I'll I'll sit down. I'll watch all that. And gamer girl says the disliker of this video has never seen a movie. No, the disliker of this video has disliked every single one of these uh, videos in this, of this thing. And I appreciate them coming by again and giving us the view. Duh. Thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for sticking around. But anyway, go ahead, John. Yeah, and and this movie has just all these little parts that really (laughs) bring it together. It starts off, and you know right away that Aster's trying something different with this movie. Mm -hmm. We get that fantastic, like we get the shot of the treehouse, and then it goes in, backs into the room, and you see like the model of the house, and it zooms in on the room. And you just get like this straight-on angle mm-hmm. of uh, Peter's room. Mm-hmm. It's it's so beautiful the way he uses <laughs> camera angle on this, and he focuses on things. There's a shot later on where it's again centered, focused, and mm-hmm. it's right after the mom's funeral. And there's the door at the end of the hall, and you're like, okay, they're obviously going to enter through that door because we're focusing on it, and they come mm-hmm. in from the side. And again, yeah. this is Aster taking that expectation of yours and flipping it on his head just like he likes that see that shot where he starts upside down and follows the thing until it's right side up yeah yep and and i like the way he decides to do this all like as as if it could be taking place in the model you know what i mean like they Mm -hmm. are and and that's massive because they are all pawns in this greater scheme 
but it's very interesting the way he shoots it. And I don't know if you noticed it while you were watching it, and I'm sure you probably did, but where the headline in a movie normally is. So like, you know, where they give you the headroom, kind of yep. like how John and I are sitting. If I actually sit upright once, you get this much headroom. They have molding mm-hmm. at that section of the entire house. But then the ceiling goes up another like foot yep. or two. It creates this awkward like, ooh, they're smaller than what this house. Like they don't belong. Like everything is just a little off the entire time. Those little things, like, again, in Midsummer has certain moments like this, too. You just have to appreciate them. Like, you really do because it's just like, who's even thinking of that while they're worrying about it? Yeah, and, and like, that's the thing. It's like, that's why these movies deserve to be investigated further is because there is so much time and thought put into every little aspect of these horror movies and it's something that we didn't get for a long time we didn't get it in the 80s after like the slasher movies took over mm-hmm. and we didn't get it in the 2000s when the torture porn genre and found footage drama were everywhere so it's it's so relieving to see this amount this much thought mm-hmm. going into a horror movie yeah yeah because i mean if horror movies when horror movies are done right there's just there's just a way about them that just makes you feel good as you're watching it. You know, what I mean? like 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 yeah. there's just something about a good horror movie in the fall. Now I live in Miami and I just lived in L.A., so maybe I shouldn't <laughs> be saying this. But when the temperature starts to cool down, like there's just something about like a coziness to that. And and, you know, it's it's you want to be freaked out like you're willing you're willingly going into this. And and Ari Aster knows you're willingly going into this. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to make you more uncomfortable than you've ever been in anything else you've ever watched. But I'm also going to sit here and I'm going to make this family drama where you sit there and you're like, how would I react if this happened mm-hmm. to me? And that's and, the and weirdest that's a, part is that you can relate. Well, I mean, I can really relate because I I lost a sister a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So so seeing a family go through this, I, I've experienced this type of trauma and mm-hmm. I felt this itself. And that's another reason why this movie speaks to me so much because nothing seems too far in Mm -hmm. the way that Annie approaches any situation because it is that desperation to get back Mm -hmm. what you've lost. I I felt it. And Aster just portrays it so well in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we have a cult that preys on it. And it's Yeah, that preys on it. That literally loves it. And that's part of that unsettling aspect of this film is that we see, we see the suffering. We see the suffering Mm -hmm. these characters are going through and like them, them trying to deal with it. And then we see these outside forces manipulating it and using Mm -hmm. it for this incredibly devilish scheme. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think where people start to lose this movie, too, is is in those last 15 minutes. I love the last mm. 15 minutes, but it is a little bit jarring from what the first hour and 45 of this movie is. Yes. It, it definitely is different. It's a different movie, but I'm all in on it by that point. I'm just like, great, let's get bad shit and let's just do it. But I understand where people come from a little bit at that point where they're saying to themselves, okay – like the cult thing and all that, but it is set up and, and somebody who we didn't mention at all. And before we move on to the next, 
I got to mention Ann Dowd because oh, Ann Dowd is such a great actress. I love Ann Dowd. And if you haven't seen her in The Leftovers, please watch The Leftovers. She is so good in The Leftovers. She is such – you will hate her with a burning passion for that entire first season. She is so obnoxious, but she is so good as, yeah. as an actress. And she plays this role perfectly. And I think because of me knowing her from The Leftovers before I watched this movie – it just hit me. It, it yeah. just hit me because I was like, there's going to be something weird with her. Annie is, mm-hmm. or whatever her name is, whatever her, uh, you know, Annie is Tony Clapp, but whatever her name yeah. is in this, she's just not what she seems. And she is quite obnoxious. Yes. Uh, and to get Anne Dowd to play Jeannie, this like kind of like head cult person in this, after she plays a head cult person in the leftovers, it just, oh, yeah. it feels so right. Yeah. But yeah, she's absolutely phenomenal in this. And again, this kind of goes into what I was saying about how Aster sets up a lot of things in this film. The amount of foreshadowing Aster puts in this film is incredible. And we're talking little things that if you're not paying close enough attention, you don't notice them. Things like the person who passes Peter his weed is in the treehouse at the end of the film. Oh, nice. See, I didn't notice that. That's awesome. So so it's like these little things where I'm like, that's what I was saying about like everything's manipulated by this cult here and everything to that point. You then assume the assumption that you can make after that is that this is probably the same friend who told Peter about the party in the first place. Yep. Then. Yep. And, and then, of course, Payman with his light makes it so that Charlie goes outside, which then results in... Annie telling Peter to take Charlie to this party. And it, it just, it's this level of setup that Aster puts in this film that you almost have to watch it multiple times to get mm-hmm. and to fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yet you never want to revisit it. And it, it's yeah. just so fascinating. And it, it's just a wonderful horror film. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. So if you haven't seen Hereditary, but you just heard all about this, go check it out. Uh, we recommend it in, in the way that Roger Ebert recommends a Serbian film. Um, yeah. You know, go in knowing you're going to you're gonna probably hate every moment of it, but see if you can get through it. Um, John, what was the best movie you watched this week? I – You can say Moonraker. I got to yeah, – it was definitely not Moonraker. <laughs> um, we'll talk about one of the worst James Bond movies of all time. Maybe one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, but I actually got to, I think, yesterday, and it's like I saw a bunch of good movies this week, and I hadn't watched anything like that really stuck out. I think this is the first week in a long time where I didn't have a four-star until yesterday mm. when I decided to sit down and watch Duck Soup finally. Mm. And, man, the Marx Brothers are hilarious. Yeah, the Mar- I, I think I said last week uh, that, like, you can't sit down and watch Duck Soup and tell me you connect with that as much as, like, like The World's End or something like that, you know, because horror or because comedy changes and whatever. Mm-hmm. I love Duck Soup. The only thing I don't like about it is the, um, like, the talking to the camera stand-up bits. That's the only thing yeah. I don't like. But the rest of it is great. It's just – it's hilarious. And it's incredible to see how much it's – stood up 90 years later it stands up 90 years later yeah it does it does the marx brothers a lot of what they do they're they're visual gags is that the Mm -hmm. one with the mirror scene yes okay yeah that scene is insane yeah that scene is insane that that mirror scene i couldn't remember if that was that or a night at the opera but no that scene is incredible Mm 
Okay. I watched one How movie you this felt? week. I watched one movie this week, and it was uh, 15 minutes before we went live here. It was the only movie I watched other than Hereditary and Jaws, and it was Palm Springs. So that's my that's my take. But I actually really enjoyed it. It's been on my list for a while. Uh, when, when it got nominated for the Globes, I was like, okay, I'll throw it on there. I kept putting it off because I thought it was just like a romantic comedy. And then I watched it. It was not what I expected at all. It was really entertaining and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Cause I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti are, are fun. So that's all yes. I got. I don't want to yes. say anything it's more. It's definitely a fun movie. It's definitely fun. It's weird. It's a weird yeah, movie, it but is. it was weird in a good way. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to Jaws, a movie that I'm sure none of you have seen and that uh, none of you have ever even heard of. Uh, I have such a love-hate relationship with Jaws for so many reasons. Uh, Jordan, I love Free Guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, anyway, I have such a love-hate relationship with Jaws. And a lot of it comes down to I think everything in this movie is perfect. I love that the shark doesn't work, which is why mm-hmm. ultimately this movie stands the test of time. I love that Robert Shaw was drunk on set the entire time. I love that him and Richard Dreyfus really did hate each other and that they're not even acting in this movie. I love that poor Roy Schneider had to be, or Scheider, not Roy Schneider, Scheider, uh, whatever, had to be in the middle of all that. Like, I love all of those things. Mm. This movie, like, broke movies. It really did. This was the first massive blockbuster. And I would argue that while Jaws also created a genre that is incredibly epic, it also probably simultaneously began the descent towards ruining what would become modern blockbusters because this movie was one of those movies where it's like, Oh my God, we can make so much money off of this because people will just go and sit down. They'll talk about it. It's a summer movie. People are scared of it. Now, if you watch this, you didn't go in the ocean that entire summer. Made so much money, made a star out of Steven Spielberg, did all of these great things. And then it spawned Jaws 2, and it spawned Jaws 3, and it spawned Jaws 4, and it spawned Steven Spielberg being allowed to make Lincoln and be called great for it, and make Warhorse and be called in brilliant, and make The Post and be told that he's good. I feel like we're patting a toddler on the behind and saying, good job, buddy. Get back out there and fall again. Um it's, it's one of those movies, it started so much, and it's so iconic, and had so many great mo- moments, and it has such great acting, and the, it's such a chaotic movie. Yes. And it led to so many great things, but it also led to so much shit that has come out since <laughs> it. Because it really is, I really believe that when you look at movies... You go back to all the way when like D.W. Griffiths, I know bad word, sorry. When D.W. Griffiths made his movies, and I won't name them because obviously, you know, Intolerance is great. Just don't go watch the other one. Um, But, you know, he makes these movies and that changes the game. Then you start getting talking movies and that changes the game. I would argue that out of all the movies in the 70s that came out, all the movies in the 60s with David Lean making making Lawrence of Arabia and the 50s making The Bridge on the River Kwai, all those movies, I really think that this is the biggest turning point in movie history it is such a massive moment in filmmaking because now it was oh man how can we keep that going with this big action piece where we get the a-list actors we put together this massive thing and it just it it changed the game it really changed the game and we've seen it devolve into bullshit 
a lot of the time yeah. because now it's hey let's get as many a-list actors as we can to sit around and and do nonsense that we've seen a million times but the technic the technical direction on this movie is impeccable he's filming on mm-hmm. open water like what is go- there's no cgi in this movie um that's all i got that's what that so go ahead yeah and, and like that is it, it cannot be understated how influential jaws was to modern cinema because it really it was this first blockbuster and it did start us on this trend that we see where we have blockbuster season every year and no matter how bad some of those movies are now it all comes back to jaws and what jaws did and again we said earlier in the podcast you can argue whether jaws is a horror movie or not mm-hmm. but I don't think there's anyone who really watches this movie and thinks, oh, I probably shouldn't go in the water for a little while. Back in the day, they were. Yeah, I mean, it's it's back in the day. I mean, this got people to not go swimming for like years. It's the same thing as Psycho with the shower scene where people didn't take a shower for, for days. And, you know, that, that yeah. wasn't good either. But, yeah, and that's, again, what is horror? Is horror the hereditary thing where you're disgusted and there's blood and there's violence and all that? Or is horror watching a kid get eaten off a raft and, yeah. and all of that? It's 100% a horror movie, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where it doesn't fit the standard of horror that we have now set nowadays. This is a yeah. this is an action movie at the end of the day, but it's terrifying. And Absolutely. there's some serious jump scares in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it has one of the most iconic jump scares of all time in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Makes my fiance and- scream every single time. And I'm going to be honest, this might be the first time I wasn't in water while watching Jaws. And I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. Yeah. yeah wait, what? <laughs> the town I grew up in, the uh, outdoor pool, would have a Jaws night every year. Oh, so that's they just amazing. throw Jaws on a screen while everyone's swimming in the pool. Yeah, that's that's what they, they do that um, in the summer sometimes for Fourth of July. I forget where I was when they were doing that, but it was uh, it was that's what they would do. It would be like a Jaws pool party. I mean, that's yeah. But it's funny because you know you feel oh that's fine we're in the pool, but you know go watch that in the ocean now at night instead. Like tell yeah, me how exactly. you feel then. And 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 that's what's so great about it is you know there's such different kinds of horror. Horror kind of gets like thrown in as you know you have your religious horror, meaning like The Exorcist and every. <laughs> movie and we'll talk about that next week too where every bullshit movie that came off the exorcist because everybody had to just all of a sudden now everybody's going to do exorcisms and we're going to be scary and it's like no at this point it's just hokey um but so you have that and 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 to watch you know so you have that kind of horror you have the jump scare horror you have the 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 halloween friday the 13th type horror and then you have this type of horror which is if you really like the the type of horror that actually impacts your real life Mm-hmm. hereditary is not going to impact your real life in all likelihood. It really isn't like you're going to be disturbed. You might have a couple sleepless nights. You might have a nightmare here and there, but it's not going to impact your regular life. This is one of those movies that impacted people's actual lives because they wouldn't go in the ocean. Yeah. That's that's, I mean, that's horror. You're scared. You might not be scared while you're watching the movie, but you're thinking about it after it's long over. Absolutely. I mean, I was reading an article last week or the week before about how climate change is going to result in the warming of the oceans and we're going to have great whites off the north or off the coast of the island I live on in Canada. And it's like, 
hmm, I'm just not going to go into the ocean then. Like, that's how impactful this movie is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it, it just, it shows you, it just changes you and makes you think, do shark attacks happen all the time? No. But you know what? Still don't really want to be the target of one. I don't want to be the target of one. That's what I always say. Like, yeah, it might not happen, but I really, that doesn't mean I need to like sit there and root for it. Like, I don't need to, I don't need yeah. to test the fates. People do get eaten by sharks. I don't need to test that, you know, but you have a much higher chance of just drowning. So, you know. Yeah. But I love the fact that we, we, people always talk about the shark as the villain in this film. Mm -hmm. I actually think the shark shows up on the AFI top villains of all time probably does. shark's not the villain shark's not the villain of this movie well in no, my shark opinion the, well no the villain of this movie is uh 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 the the father from the graduate the mayor he's the villain yeah, of this movie absolutely he's douche he's awful but he's great he yeah, plays that role so perfectly so well and and the thing is it's like unless you're really thinking about this movie on another level other than like the surface level because you know you have to go under the water to see the true horrors there you go. But John John's so proud on that one. <laughs> I am. I really am. But in the end, like the real villainy here is the fact that this they can't close the beach because no one will make money. Well, and like that's also, just what it comes down to. It's also interesting to watch this in 2021 after we've gone through uh 18 months of COVID, where that was the thing at the beginning, and now that things are opening mm -hmm. back up, you know, people people are talking these discussions are happening on a much grander scale at this point. But you know, 1975 wasn't all that different from 2021. I mean, it's the same stuff all the time. Money makes the world go round. They sing it in cabaret, okay? So exactly. like it's it's a thing. And, and, you know, in this movie, him constantly pushing for that, of course he's going to push for that. He's the mayor of a summer town. And if yeah. you're, if, if for, for anybody who hasn't actually lived in the Northeast, like in Boston, the Boston area, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, you get three months. That's all you get. You get three months to make like 80%. It's probably lower than that, but I'm just saying nonsense numbers before I get any like tax accountants in here, but to make like 80% of your state revenue. Like it's crazy that the, the school year is based around labor day and Memorial day in New Jersey. They won't go back till after labor day because all the teachers go and work as lifeguards and stuff. And they don't want to close the beaches. So like, that's how this works. If you miss the 4th of July, you just missed probably the biggest day of your year by a lot. It's not even close. So when that's happening, this that's why, but that's why this movie works so well. You have an mm -hmm. outsider who is in control, who wants to upend everything because it is the right thing to do. But we also know he's terrified of water. He's a city guy and he's brand new. And we have yeah. a mayor who's like, but I need to keep every business in this town afloat. I need to make everything work for these people. We can't be doing that. And he is still looking out for the best interest maybe of his people. You have these conflicting ideologies on this. And so what do they do? What can they do? You, you don't like it's it's so great. And that chaos of at the beginning, we get a shark attack. And after that, 
All he wants to do is figure out what's going on with the shark attack. And everybody's asking about BS in this small town. Oh, what are we, well, he's parking here. Oh, they're hitting the fence. Oh, they're doing this. And all he wants to do is figure out that chaos, that stress, that, that they're, they're, everything's being rushed, even though it shouldn't be being rushed. I mean, it just, it creates such an atmosphere. I think it's why this movie still stands up so well because those arguments that they're having about closing down the the beaches, those are arguments that are happening in schools all over America about should you wear masks. It's the same thing and it's almost 50 years later. Yeah. And like that's the thing with this movie is it it does stand the test of time because these are still age-old questions that we keep asking ourselves over and over again. And we even have the expert come in. Yeah, we have Richard Dreyfuss's character come in, and he's like, "This isn't the shark," and people are just like, "No, we have to say it's the shark so that everyone like calms down because they create this sensationalism around mm-hmm. the shark attack because a boy just got eaten in front of everyone at the beach, yeah. and there's this massive reward, and again, like money's again motivating people, and we get all of these, um, all of these people coming out to try to catch a shark." And in the end, what that's doing is just perpetuating the danger of the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's perpetuating the danger of the situation. And then everybody thinks, you know, they catch that one shark. So great. Yes. Oh, awesome. Blah, blah, blah. You know, they didn't catch the shark. These bozos are going to go catch the shark. Like, you know, and that's what Richard Dreyfus says. Like, they may have, but come on. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and like, I love that you just see Quint in the background, this whole beginning of the movie, just watching them, making fun of them, mocking them. They're jokes and they don't know what they're doing. And that's just, it's such great character development. I mean, you have the character development throughout the entire movie and yet now it's going to make everything worse. And that shot when, when he real, when Chief Brody realizes that he does now have to go out into the ocean and kill this thing and it goes mm-hmm. under the bridge and now it's just the open ocean. It's so off. Oh. It's so good. It's absolutely it perfect. Is. And yeah. speaking of, we talked about patience with Hereditary. Spielberg showed patience with this movie, and a lot of it oh, came yeah. down to the fact that the shark didn't work properly. But we don't see the shark until, um, what is it, an hour and 21 minutes into this film. Because mm-hmm. it broke. Like, you don't actually get a, a shot of the shark other than, like, its dorsal fin and tail until an hour and 21 minutes into the film. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so impactful, though, because it's that yeah. it's that you know something bad is happening, you know something's terrorizing these people. But you know, that's what I always I always say. Like, how do you ruin horror? You give them a, an origin story. Hannibal mm-hmm. Lecter becomes a lot less scary when you find out. Pretty much, yeah. origin stories ruin everything because it takes away the mystery. That's we talked about Solo and we talked about The Empire Strikes Back. It takes away the mystery upon Solo. Mm-hmm. When you show it, it's a lot less frightening. Because unless unless it's something like the Exorcist we're talking about next week and, and Reagan is absolutely horrifying in that movie. But that's because you're watching this happen to a little girl. But when you're show when you show the monster and you keep show, after you show the monster the first time, it's not as scary. You figure it out after that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why any David Lynch movie anybody's ever watched, they're so weird. He'll give you something absolutely terrifying and then never show you it again, but you're waiting for it to appear. Yeah. That's how you make great horror and great suspense. And with Jaws, it was, you know this girl gets eaten right away. You see the little boy get eaten. 
you see like you see all these moments but you don't actually see them and finally when that guy in the boat the shark comes up and hits it and tips it that's the first time you really see anything and it totally totally changed the game uh and and then by the time you see the shark and you get that line of you're going to need a bigger boat that's iconic because we had to wait that long to see this monster and it feels so yeah. purposeful because at that point it was <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and there are other aspects of this film that I really enjoy. Uh, we've already talked about the acting and the fact that like, they had these three actors in this film. But the scene where they're comparing scars. Top five scene in movie history. I really oh, it's, believe, top it's, five scene in movie history. It's one of the greatest scenes ever. It's, yeah. it's undeniable how fantastic that scene is. And it's it's coming right before the climax of the film, too. And it really... It shows so much about these characters in this instance. And it, it just makes it so much more impactful with how the climax unfolds. Yeah. Well, because up until this point, Quint's just been an alcoholic. He's an alcoholic yep. fisherman and that's it. And when we get the story about the USS Indianapolis, it's it, it it's haunting. It's it's it just drops the whole thing because it's just coming off the song and everything and him and him and um uh whatever hooper hate each other up until mm-hmm. this point they hate each other but as soon as he says oh that was the usn is hooper drop his face drops and brody doesn't understand what that means but to see that change after they finally have started having fun together and to give quint that backstory right before quint ultimately ends up getting eaten by a shark anyway and that's why it's so impactful, like, because Quint has to get eaten by a shark anyway, after he survived that whole instance. It's it's like the old man in the sea. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you're eventually going to end up coming back. And I love that scene so much. That's, that is one of my all-time favorite scenes, that entire progression, the the way that it just keeps going and going and going and going, all to get to that part, to go back to them singing, to then cut to something's not right here. It's yeah. perfect. It's it's per- it's so incredibly well done. Yeah, it, it's really amazing to think about like where this movie kind of came from because like the seventies, we weren't seeing these type of movies. The horror genre as a whole was kind of born at this time. Yeah, we have some of like the outliers from beforehand, things like um, Psycho, obviously, and like some of the other Hitchcock movies. But we didn't really have this type of horror movie with the dread monster mm-hmm. hiding the entire time and having to overcome fear itself in order to conquer it. Yeah, and 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 it was just two years before that we had um, uh, The Exorcist. But The Exorcist, mm-hmm. is it's not so much about fear. They're ready to face this thing. It's just how do you face the devil? But it's yeah. crazy that... Uh, the Exorcist was the first movie I think to break like two thirty at the box office in, ter- in terms of millions, and then Jaws two years later does it. So you're mm-hmm. having these back to back massive horror movies that were breaking the box office records. Now, obviously, we've seen that over time with Blair Witch and 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 um, and um, Paranormal Activity and things like that. But these were the movies setting the records back then, and yeah. we just talked about how now we have these movies like that are. Going for the same thing as maybe what The Exorcist is going for, slow burn horror, all that. Can't even come close to that. Mm-hmm. So it is it is interesting to kind of see the, the, the way that that 
was building at this point and people were kind of taking chances uh, to make these movies to develop this genre that up until this point had been only somewhat developed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just this iconic movie in cinema history for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, so impressive that it just holds up still today despite that and like this shark is some of the best special effects in any movie Mm -hmm. there's not a moment where you think the shark isn't real when you're watching it that's what's insane and it's 1975 then you watch something like deep blue sea where samuel jackson gets eaten by a shark and it's like where'd that cartoon come from deep blue sea is the second best shark movie of all time i'll say that but it is it it's iconic that movie is yeah. hilarious i love every second of that movie i love that ll cool j walks around with the pit, uh parrot the entire time but sure. like it is so funny to see how how important it is and how important it still is and filmmakers miss this and studios miss this because studios are at the point where it's like ah screw it they'll eat it up anyway uh, mm-hmm. i always think a turtle top from um from bojack horseman if anybody's seen that that's who that is literally the studio executives yeah. but when you sit down and you watch a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, and they have all extras, it's all real people. And you watch Jaws and it's an actual made shark. Like, yeah, there's a point in this movie where like you can tell that the, the shark's eyes is just kind of drawn on to the same thing as the mm-hmm. rest of the shark. But that mechanical shark holds up. Somebody had to make the freaking mechanical shark. And if you're making yeah. a mechanical shark, you're not going to make – a crappy looking mechanical shark unless it's purposeful like James and the giant peach. Like you're making a, a shark in the seventies. We were making cars so you can make a mechanical shark and you, you, you make everything too clean and too nice and all of that. Um, when, when you start getting CGI and, and whatever else. And I think that is literally the reason that people will always fear jaws is because Mm -hmm. that shark is an actual creation. That is an actual thing that is in the water, not just a CGI blur every now and then. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it kind of makes you yearn for that period where they weren't using CGI to enhance these films all the time. And that we were just using these practical effects instead. But don't worry, we can talk about practical effects much, much, much later in this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, I know. We'll talk about that when we talk about the thing and every other friggin' movie John yeah. has from the from the eighties. Every Sam Raimi movie and and all that. But it were, I mean, we're gonna talk about The Exorcist next week. It might be the best uh, Dick Smith, the mm-hmm. best makeup artist of all time. Uh, he, you know, he did he did this. I think he did. Did he do Planet of the Apes? Now I gotta look it up. I think he did this. I think he did the Planet of the Apes. Whatever it was. But he's the best. He's the best makeup artist literally ever. And to you know to see what he does with Reagan in that movie, they've tried to make so many other of these movies. They can't do it. Yeah. They can't do it. So now I have to look up to make sure that I'm not giving you guys fake, uh, fake news. Yeah. It was, ahead, it was just a simpler time. And sometimes it would be nice if movies go back to it because then we do kind of get these iconic moments where we are scared to go in the water. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't do the extra. He didn't, or he did the exorcist. He didn't do uh he did The Exorcist and The Godfather Part Two, so there you go. There you go. But, yeah, I just, I just think like, I don't. But the problem is, you never go back to this. 
You know, that's the no. thing. Like you're ne- we're never going to go back to this. They've tried to do it 57 meters down and, and uh, whatever other chart uh, was open water, mm-hmm. but people just, they don't have the patience for it. And, no, and, you know, you can make cheap movies, but once you start shooting on location in water and things like that, it's too expensive. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, how do we get back to making classics? People always be, oh, movies were better back then or whatever. If you stopped paying for it, they'd start making them like that again. I mean, that's the truth. Yep. You know, it's it, they'd start paying. So that's what I got out of Jaws, man. Jaws, it, it breaks me because I love it, but I, I hate what Spielberg became. I hate I hate everything he made pretty much after Saving Private Ryan, maybe with the exception of Bridge of Spies. I liked Bridge of Spies, but that was really it. Um, but we have like Lincoln and, and the post and, and he just, yeah. it was just like, great. He slaps his name on it. And now it's great. It, it starts to cheapen some of his actual classics, you know, and it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but the casting in this movie is perfect. And, and that, that helps too. So that's what I got on Jaws. Jaws number 68. And every time I watch it, I'm like, eh, I can move up if it wants to. Yeah, no, it's, it's a phenomenal movie. And it had been a long time since I had seen it, but I definitely, remembered how incredible it was when we wrestled yeah. it this week yep there you go got anything else you want to say about jaws uh nope that's it all right so that was jaws so next week we are talking about the exorcist as i've said about a thousand times and we're talking about sin city which john is using as the replacement for pulp fiction because i have pulp fiction way way higher up so we're talking about sin city uh which you know kind of fits that it, it's it's a it's a knockoff pulp fiction i'm not gonna lie it's got that pulp fiction thing going on where it's all the storylines and how they interweave and everything like that um but very very stylized which is always you know mm-hmm. entertaining so that'll be a good one uh sin city from 2005 not the dame to kill for right john you don't want to watch the dame to kill no. for okay. no let's Sorry. watch the og one okay i like to sometimes throw that out there just in case you change your mind and then the exorcist and no we're not going to watch the exorcist Two, the heretic we're going to watch the first one um because every other exorcist is bad so that's what we got coming at you next week um I don't know what day we're going to do it because the Survivor premiere is so damn long next week. We wanted to just kind of make this that we do after the Survivor episodes uh, that Alexa and I record. But it may come out a different day next week just because it's a two-hour premiere. But then after that, we'll be coming back. So that's what I got for that. John, anything else you want to say or are we getting out of here? No. uh, We'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone.